Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics. Today we're bringing you a bonus episode, an interview with Caleb Kaltebach on the Equality Act. Now, if you've been tracking religious freedom or discussions going on in the culture right now, this is a huge act that some thinkers like Albert Muller and others have said is one of the most serious threats to religious liberty, at least within this generation. And I agree with him. Caleb is unique to speak into this. Number one, he's researched the cases legally extensively. He's an author, but he also works with churches and other Christian universities and organizations practically help them kind of work through these kind of challenges and issues related to religious liberty. He also grew up with two moms and became a Christian in high school. So he has such compassion as he approaches this, but also a love for equipping and educating the church. Now, this is longer than our typical episodes. It's about an hour long because I had a chance to interview Caleb on my YouTube channel, which is in partnership with our Biola Talbot Apologetics program. So I think you're going to get a ton out of this and be equipped and enjoy it as well. You'll see that Caleb speaks with truth and love, which is our goal here on the Think Biblically podcast. So after you listen, we hope you'll consider sharing it with a friend. Enjoy. What is the Equality Act? Why do some people consider it such a a threat or concern for religious liberty? And how should Christians respond to the issues that are coming out of the potential passage of this bill? Well, I don't know anybody more qualified to talk about this for a few reasons than my friend and author, Caleb Kaltenbach. And some of the reasons are his training and research in this. Another reason is that he's been working with churches practically to help them navigate some of the changes in religious liberty. But also, Caleb, you have a really unique background and story that helps, I think, give you such love and compassion for all sides of this issue. Would you start by just briefly sharing some of your background on how it shapes the way you approach this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was raised in Columbia, Missouri, and Kansas City. Uh, That's why I'm a Chiefs fan. And basically, uh, when I was two years old, my parents, who were both professors at the time at the University of Missouri, Columbia and Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, got a divorce. They went into same sex relationships. My dad was more in the closet. Uh, My mom was uh, in a monogamous relationship with a psychologist named Vera for about 22 years. And um, I was raised in the LGBTQ community in Kansas City. And uh, I was taught this. I was taught that. Um, Christians hate gay people. If you're not like them, they will not like you. And I saw Christians uh, protest pride parades when I marched with my mom and her partner. They were very uh, activist oriented. Uh, I grew up with them taking me when I was in elementary school, middle school to uh, bars and campouts and pride parades and house parties and so on and so forth. Uh, And I really grew up hating Christians. And then I got invited to a Bible study to try to disprove the Bible. Um, And that worked out real well. You know, as you can tell, that worked out real well that (laughs) Jesus kind of disproved my worldview. uh, And I saw in him uh, somebody that was full of grace and truth and that is full of grace and truth and um, went on to become a pastor. uh, And I do what I do full time now, uh, helping churches through the Messy Grace Group. But um, my I, I went to Dallas, Texas for about three and a half years to preach and be a senior pastor. Uh, everybody's got to live in purgatory at some point in their life. And so when I was there, 
oh, it's humid and there are rattlesnakes and there's um, Terry Jones. It's very hostile. And so when I was there, basically, uh, my mom and dad moved down there, started attending the church that um, that I was preaching at, even though they knew that I believed that God designed sexual intimacy and affection to be expressed in a marriage between a man and a woman. Um, and I moved back to Southern California in the summer of 2013. And two or three weeks before I moved back, my parents at the ages of 69 and 70 both gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Wow. And so that's, I, I was raised in the LGBTQ community. I'm a pastor. Um, and so I feel like in a sense, I can kind of understand both worlds to a degree. And I've seen the pain and the suffering and I've seen, um, I've seen a lot. So, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. From the first moment I met you, I sensed this love for the scriptures, love for Jesus and the church, but this genuine love for the LGBTQ community who you had felt like had been very good to you. And your compassion trying to wade some of these sticky issues we're getting in today, I think is a model that's helped me a ton. So let's just jump in. Everybody's talking about the Equality Act. Before we talk about why people are talking about it, can you explain what it is first? Yeah, so the Equality Act is really a, a very unique um, bill. A lot of people think that it's brand new uh, when they first hear about it. It's not. The Equality Act has actually been around since something like 1974. And so the Equality Act uh, basically uh, was started by a representative in New York. And then um, it, it's been in front of Congress like every other year, sometimes every three years. Um, and, and is trying to make sure that there is equality in certain areas of the public sector for people, um, you know, based on, you know, so that there's not discrimination based on people's gender identity, gender expression, or sexual orientation. Um, now, what, what's interesting is in 2014, uh, there was a line added in the Equality Act um, in 2015. In 2014, um, if you remember, the Supreme Court ruled on, the Hobby Lobby case, yep. you know, five to four. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the first times that this act called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which was sponsored by Chuck Schumer and Ted Kennedy and signed into law by Bill Clinton, uh, that, that protects churches. Uh, it's one of uh, churches and ministries. It's one of our um, uh, tools to, uh, you know, say, hey, we have freedom of religion. It really emphasizes the First Amendment, but it was the first time that it was ever applied, I think, to a for-profit organization. A lot of people cried foul ball in 2014. So in 2015, basically, you have a whole section in there that removes the RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which makes uh, religious freedom very, very complicated. doesn't eliminate it, but it makes it complicated. And so... In 2019, it was the first time that uh, the Equality Act ever passed the House, ever. It didn't pass the Senate. It died in the Senate. Um, And you had uh, some Republican uh, lawmakers who were trying to pass the Fairness for All Act, which is based off of uh, a bill in Utah called the Utah Compromise, which is a fantastic thing. And, And then in 2021 here, just last month, the Equality Act passes the House again. Um, I think that it's going to die in the Senate because of the filibuster rule, unless okay. they unless they get rid of the filibuster. Um, the other night, President Biden was talking uh, to George Stephanopoulos about reforming um, the uh, the filibuster, and, and we don't really know particularly what that means. So um, this, I still don't think it's going to pass, but eventually, I think it it will pass. And you never know; pieces of it could find its way in other 
uh, legislation that is passed. So what is it about the Equality Act itself that concerns many Christians in terms of religious liberty? So there, there are a couple of things, you know, first, it's the removal of the RFRA of 1993 that I just told you about that is one of the protections for religious freedom of all religions and all denominations, not just Christians, Jewish people, Muslim. Um, and actually, that whole act was started uh, to protect uh, uh, Native Americans and indigenous peoples and okay. to practice their religion in Oregon and California. So. Um, so removing that really, really makes it complicated. And it would be a very, very easy fix where even in uh, Section 1107 of the Equality Act, H.R. 5, they could easily put, you know, hey, the RFRA cannot be applied to for-profit organizations or something like that. Um, you know, it, 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 it cannot be used to uh, as a defense claim against Title VII or Title IX, except for um, religious nonprofit organizations. It would be so easy for them to do that, but they don't. Um, because I think there, you have some lawmakers that think, okay, you know, they've still got the First Amendment, they've still got ministerial exemption, they've still got some other protections. Um, but you have some people who are, I, I really think, you have some people that are extremists uh, who okay. really want to get at um, religious freedom and blame, especially Christians, for a lot of the problems and and uh, the trauma that LGBTQ people have experienced. And, and there's some there's some veracity to that. There's some truth to where I've seen that, you know. Um, but in a sense, I think you kind of almost differentiate between uh, people who are really Christians and people who are not, and people who act like Jesus and people who don't. Um, and I don't mean to pick on, you know, the left here, because we all know that the right has extremists, too. I'm just talking about the extremists over here sure. on this side. So that makes it complicated. Another thing that makes it complicated is that um, if the Equality Act is passed, there is a very, very good chance that um, that when churches do things like food pantries on their own or they rent out their facilities to anyone in the community, um, when they end up, uh, you know, uh, like running um, uh, showers for homeless people, um, you know, you, you name it. When churches end up opening up their facilities or renting their facilities to people in the public, um, the Equality Act says, well, now those are public accommodations. You are held accountable to be able to, um, you know, to, you know, for discrimination. You absolutely have to allow people to use shared areas, whether they're locker rooms, bathrooms, uh, dressing rooms, that kind of thing. Um, so that, that's another aspect where it makes churches into public accommodations and it makes churches very, very easy to sue. And it also makes Christian colleges and ministries as well, uh, nonprofits, very, very easy to sue. There's another thing that makes it extremely complex, and that is that it, it you know, it adds to the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964, okay. uh, Title Seven, Title Nine. It adds sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, as a further definition and understanding of what the word sex means in that act. And uh, basically, if the if the Equality Act is passed, then um, you know, people who uh, who are, you know, transgender women, transgender men, uh, people who experience uh, a misalignment between their gender identity and their biological sex, uh -huh. um, you know, if they feel like, you know, they want to transition or they want to use um, another bathroom that's opposite sex from their biological sex that they were born with, um, they're allowed to. 
um, under the Equality Act, and there's it's really illegal to stop that from happening. It could be considered bullying not to use somebody's uh, pronouns. Wow. Um, and and you know, here's the thing, you know, with that is that, you know, I think the whole pronoun thing. I think that's something that you really, you know, got to think about. Um, I don't necessarily think there's a right or a wrong answer. For me, I'm willing to do almost anything short from sinning to try to win influence with somebody to mm-hmm. help them find Jesus Christ and make him their their one their primary identity, their true sure. identity, what they were created for. But so you know, I I don't necessarily have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is kind of what Jordan Peterson had a problem with up in Canada, you yeah. know, when he was forced and other people were forced to use pronouns. And if you don't, you can get in trouble. You could be accused of uh, macroaggressions, bullying, um, that kind of thing. Um, so there, there are good things. I want to say this real quick before we go on. There are good things because there are some uh, states, uh, counties, municipalities where LGBTQ individuals um, based on their sexual orientation or their gender identity and how they relate or identify, they it makes it very, very hard for them to be able to get um, uh, home loans. Uh, you know, it's very easy okay. to discriminate against them. It's very easy uh, to discriminate against them uh, when it comes to uh, the credit system, getting credit cards. Um, and, and honestly, I, I didn't even really know this, and I feel guilty and ashamed that I didn't know this, but there are some states and counties and municipalities where it's very, very easy for this to happen. Um, LGBTQ individuals in some places can even, you know, be refused to serve on a jury because of their sexual orientation and gender identity. And I don't know about about you, Sean, but um, jury duty is scary when you are sitting there with everybody else and you're like, these are the people that will decide if I get the chair or not. And they can't figure out how to use a, a lapel or a button and it, it just whatever. If I have to sit there and, uh, you know, sweat all day and be uncomfortable, I want everybody in jury with me. Okay. Sure. Regardless of your sexual orientation or right. your gender identity. So I do think that there are some needed things that the Equality Act does do um, in those three areas. Okay. So what about federal funds? Uh, is this limited to just organizations that get federal funds? Does it include state funds like, say, a Christian university like Biola, where I teach at? A lot of the um, money that Biola gets to operate is through the state grants, loans, etc. Would it affect churches if they don't get state funds, but they get like a tax-exempt status? How does that play in the reach of this act? Well, I think that it plays in the reach of this act by making it very, very easy. You know, once you've ended up, you know, eliminating, um, uh, you know, federal funds uh, for people uh, who for institutions that are not aligning with the new um, definitions and the new ideas set forth about gender identity and sexual orientation, Title IX. Now, all of a sudden, you have um, these organizations where they're not going to be able to get federal funds because it's like, how can you be out of line with the federal government and us give you money? That makes it easier for the state to be able to say, well, we're not going to give you funds either. You know, okay. that'll go to court. But then, I mean, the state can very easily pass a bill after the Equality Act saying, hey, 
let's just pass this on a state level to make sure it's good. A lot of, you know, states also, they get their money, you know, their their, uh, state money from the federal government too. And so maybe you could even make an argument there that, well, hey, this is, you know, kind of, we get this from here, you're not aligned, you're not going to be able to um, uh, receive federal funds. So that, that makes it extremely, extremely difficult. And again, I'm talking more about religious organizations than I am about, um, for-profit organizations, because for-profit organizations right. are already held accountable by Title VII. Yep. Um, another thing I want to point out real quick um, is, uh, you know, and, and we've seen this in history, we've seen this all over the news, that uh, now you have an increasing number of transgender women who are competing on women's sports teams. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're, they're story after story about transgender women uh, winning competitions. And I understand that some people will call me bigoted for saying this, so forgive me. I understand the sense when people say gender, they're referring to social constructs and roles and so on and so forth. Um, But you are still playing on a team, you know, that was just for biological women, which is actually one of the reasons why Title IX was even created you know, to, to be able to create space for women to be able to compete, biological women fairly amongst each other and so on and so forth, you're able to, you know, do that. And now you have uh, transgender women who are who are competing and uh, Christian colleges uh, will not really be able to do very much about it. Um, you know, public, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of other schools that are for-profit schools or if they're not religious, they're not going to be able to do much about it either. A lot of those changes are already happening. Um, and dude, what we're going to see if this passes or whenever it does pass, dude, we're going to see lawsuit after lawsuit. And gotcha. if it's eventually going to repeat, it's eventually going to reach the Supreme Court. So this ruling would trump all other state rulings and those really that have gone before laws in terms of the intersection of religious freedom and LGBTQ rights. I mean, would this be kind of an umbrella term that would just bring it all into, and again, Trump earlier laws? Is that how significant this is? Yeah, I think it is. Think about when, um, you know, it's it's legislation, it's, you know, uh, for the federal government. Um, you know, I think about, you know, when same sex, uh, when you have a Burgerfell versus Hodges, when that ruling was put out, mm-hmm. I know that that's constitutional and we're talking about legislation and federal here, but still at the same time, you had a bunch of states who define marriage as being between a man and a woman. But then when that was passed, that kind of trumped everything else. So it really didn't matter at that point. I don't right. know exactly how that plays out in the same way with legislation, and when the president signs something, but I got to think that it's similar. And if it's not similar, there are going to be a lot of states that go ahead and pass it. And, you know, when states go up against the federal government, it doesn't always go that well. That's that's true. So let me ask you to take both sides here. I'm guessing probably most of my viewers are Christians. Make a case for the Equality Act as best you can for those in favor of it just so those who maybe are concerned about it can understand where supporters are coming from. Absolutely. Imagine growing up your whole life and imagine feeling uh, uh, ambiguity and misalignment between your birth sex and your sense of gender identity. And imagine feeling like when people are treating you as 
um, the biological or birth sex that you are, imagine what it feels like to feel that ambiguity, to feel that misalignment, and yet you're still having to play a role, um, you know, to meet expectations within society. Um, imagine growing up your whole life and you have no idea why you are attracted to people of the same sex, biological mm-hmm. sex. You just have no clue um, because a lot of people um, who are who are attracted to people of the same uh, biological sex, they haven't been abused. They haven't been bullied. They haven't been beaten. None of that has happened. So um, you grow up with this. You hear the jokes. You're afraid to come out. You hear what people say. You go to church, especially going to church in the 80s and that kind of thing. And you even have people today who are going to some extreme culturally fundamentalist church where there's not grace and truth and there's not compassion. There's no empathy. And if even even if you're straight, you have friends where you've seen them struggle with this, with mm-hmm. gender dysphoria, with with um, with coming out. You've seen the increase in homeless LGBTQ youth. I think you just wrote about that in a blog uh, today, if I'm not mistaken, or you will recently. Imagine if you were if you saw the suicidality levels of LGBTQ youth rise, and imagine if that's your own child and you are just stuck in the heart. You're like, we have got to do something. This is not right. We've got to make sure that people feel dignified and valued mm. at every single level you know, of, of this country. And Sean, a lot of what I just said right there, you know, it, it's, it's tugging at the heartstrings, but it's also true. And it's also somebody's experience. And you know, as well as I do, that you can't argue against that. And, and that's where I, I think about what the apostle Paul said in first Corinthians nine, um, you know, uh, and, and I'm not saying that everybody that I just described, I'm not saying that they're not Christian, but Paul says that I become all things to all people so that I may be able to win some to the Lord. And I just think to myself, Paul was willing to meet them where they were at. Wow. You see, so many of the times we're not able to have good conversations about things like this because, you know, people, a lot of people who support the Equality Act, and there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of hurt and pain sure. behind that. And they're like, they're coming at it from this and a lot of other people that don't agree with it, or maybe it's better to say don't agree with portions of it. I think you and I would agree with that. They're coming at it from a logical viewpoint and it's two ships passing each other in the night and not even seeing each other. And I think that if you really want to have an effective conversation with somebody about this, about the Equality Act with whom you disagree or they disagree with you, you got to get down on their level. Hmm. That's that's really helpful, and I appreciate the sympathy that you bring to people on all sides of this. Because when it's all said and done, what you're saying matters is the ministry through this, and I think that's exactly how Jesus would see it. Now, flip and take the other side. Why should Christians, and not just Christians, other people in America, be concerned about the Equality Act? What's the case against it? Okay. I, I would say like this. Number one, I'm, you know, I just wrote a 99 page document on the Equality Act that I'm giving out to churches and ministries and that kind of thing about some of the stuff we're talking about. And basically, I didn't, I'm not afraid if it passes. I'm not afraid. Okay. And I, because I don't think it's the end of religious liberty, I think it complicates it quite a bit, but I don't think it's the end. Number And, and also, 
you know, we haven't reached persecution in this country. There's a lot of unfairness, maybe some mild discrimination towards Christians. But whenever that, if there ever is persecution, the church grows in persecutions. The reason why I am against this version of the Equality Act, if they could fix some of the things with religious organizations Mm. and we could have more time to discuss some of the shared areas because we don't even – I mean, it's just recently that we've even begun having conversations in the last 70 years about gender identity and transgender individuals and so on and so forth. I I believe that this really hinders religious freedom, and it complicates it. And I think that religious freedom makes society better. That's why I do am against the Equality Act. It's very simple. I think the religious freedom – Religious freedom for Christians, Jewish people, Buddhist, Hindu individuals, uh, Muslims, indigenous peoples, and and their uh, tribal religions. I, you know, if if they practice those, I believe that whatever it is, I believe that religious freedom, it makes society better. It forces us to understand that our differences can draw us together instead of divide us. That our differences can make us better, and so that's that's why I have an issue with the Equality Act, because eliminating religious freedom, it doesn't make society good. It makes society worse. And while we may not feel the effects immediately, I guarantee you our kids, as my kids, your kids, as they get older, they will feel it. And, and so will our grandkids and so on and so forth. And ultimately, I want society, I want religious freedom because it makes it easier to tell people about Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's awesome. I, I think you're you're making kind of a secular case for religious freedom. That what's most important to us as human beings is what we can believe and that we could live it out. And this is a pre-political right, and the government should uh, recognize that right, even if people come to different conclusions. Uh, I think that's a great case. More and more people need to hear. Now, people who follow my ministry know that I'm not political. <laughs> I don't argue that I, I talk worldview as it intersects with politics at times, but I don't take a political stance on issues publicly speaking. But the reason this Equality Act has come to the forefront so much is because of the Biden administration valuing this. So can you just tell us some of the things that the administration has done from day one in terms of gender identity issues and the Equality Act, what they're trying to push and promote simply so we can know and understand. Man, from day one, the, I mean, it, it's it's incredible. Like, out of all the things, like, I, I maybe I should have expected this. I don't know. But not even the Obama administration did this much with gender identity. And it's not even... Um, it's not even uh, as much sexual orientation as it is gender identity. So on day one, he issued uh, an executive order uh, preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation, which in the civil uh, square, you and I would agree with, right? We would agree with that. You should not um, belittle people, bully people, be combative. Um, everybody is someone that God created and Jesus died for. We all have the same equal intrinsic value assigned to us from being made in God's image and likeness um, and being recipients of Jesus's blood or the invitation uh, to the cross. So, um, but what made that so um, difficult, that first, that first like executive order is really kind of like a, I think, if you will, a preview of what was to come is that in that executive order, um, 
the Biden administration specifically mentions that transgender individuals should be given full access to restrooms, locker rooms, and school sports teams that align with their self-identified gender identity. Um, the Supreme Court case, Bostock, it, it never, ever, ever mentioned restrooms, locker rooms, anything like that. So it's like on day one, they went all the way over here, you know. And then uh, that was on the 20th, on the 21st, the Biden administration added gender neutral pronouns uh, as options when people call the federal government. Again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that is part of the that's part of the trail here. Uh, The Biden administration issued an executive order on January 25th that reversed uh, President Trump's ban of uh, transgender people serving in the military. Um, On the 4th, he issued a a memorandum uh, instructing all local and international U.S. agencies to uh, fight and guard human rights for sexual minorities. Uh, On February 4th, the administration released another memorandum. And then you have uh, on February 13th, the Biden administration nominated Rachel Levine to serve as the assistant secretary of health. Rachel Levine is also the first transgender woman to be nominated for a U.S. governmental official position that requires uh, confirmation from Congress. Um, That's a big deal. Uh, February 19th, he issued his statement in support of the Equality Act. Um, And then you have uh, Gender Policy Council. You have a couple more executive orders. And again, I'm not trying to comment on each one of these. So don't, you know, if if you want to play me, uh, play me for looking beautiful. Play me for being eye candy. I'm not trying, I'm not getting into what I think about each one of these. I'm just saying that there's a trail there. um, And this is within, before Biden's 50th day in office. Um, which was, I think, last week or a couple weeks ago. So um, there's definitely something going on as far as we're going to push this, we're going to push this, we're going to push this. And I get it. There's the suicidality, and I get it. There's the struggle, um, and so on and so forth. So, uh, But at the same time, um, there's no no dialogue. There's no discussion. Um, It's a power grab. And actually, Sean, you probably know this, but there are a lot of legal scholars who support same-sex marriage who do not agree with the Equality Act in its present form. Yeah, It's an overreach. There are a lot of feminists, uh, I think they're called even second-wave feminists, um, where they don't agree with uh, transgender women, you know, men who transition being called women. Um, they're like, that kind of, in their eyes, that eliminates Um, you know, the struggles that women have gone through, women's suffrage, and so on and so forth throughout the years. Um, So you see on paper, you see on the news that it's like this person supports, this company supports, that company supports, you know, well, sure, companies support, they want money, but very rarely do you find somebody that's actually read all of it. And rarely do people even know that there are individuals who support same-sex marriage and support LGBTQ rights who do not support the Equality Act because it is a huge uh, overreach, as uh, Dr. Douglas uh, Lakeuk says, who's a professor of law at the University of Virginia. Talk a little bit about some of the power and money you are hinting at here. You have a whole section in this document that we'll come back to how people can find it and read it. I read it twice, and it was utterly eye-opening and valuable in my time. One of the reasons that I want to have you on to talk about this. So we're going to tell people where they can find that. But you had a whole section how different parties have financial incentive in getting this passed. 
more so than what's actually the human rights behind it and how will it affect society. It's more so off, oftentimes a power or money grab. Can you give a few more examples of how that might be the case? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just I'm just turning there in the document right now. So I make sure that I don't say something that I don't want to say. So go ahead and talk more, Sean. Hold on. Oh. Go ahead and talk more. <laughs> so this document, by the way, you put together and I want everybody to know it's about 90 pages. It's a quick read and it talks about the legal side of what's happening. It explains what it is. It talks about the people uh, from girls in sports, uh, from churches of what legally this could mean for religious liberty. But this section that we're talking about jumped out to me is I hadn't really thought behind the scenes what some of the motivation could be for so many different parties to push this who, like you said, haven't even taken the time to read the bill. Talk yeah. about that. Um, yeah, it, I, I found it right here. Thank you so much. I did find it right here. Um, it's When it's 99 pages, it's you're kicking yourself later on. So <laughs> I apologize ahead of time. Um, what, what's really, really interesting is – uh, both times, both in 2019 and then uh, last month when the Equality Act passed, uh, you had um, uh, mainly House Democrats. I think three Republicans in the House voted for it. I think there were only three this year. I can't remember how many there were in 2019. But you have all the Democrats who are lined up and they have this bill and they're just clapping and they're excited and, you know, hey, we passed this. We care about LGBTQ rights. And part of me is like, do you really? Because, um, you know, that's not going to pass in its present form. You know, it's like uh, the fairness for all kind of takes away everything that you that might trouble you and I and really leave and even give some exemptions for smaller for-profit business owners, depending on how many employees you have. I, th I think so. That was the 2019 version. I'm not sure about the 2021 version, but they're saying it to the Senate. They know it's not going to pass. They know that. Okay. They know about the filibuster and they know that it's difficult for the filibuster uh, to be reformed. And even if the filibuster is reformed, there are still other ways that this can get tripped up in the Senate. There's a lot that goes into passing a bill, as I'm sure you probably remember from high school, elementary age, or whatever, a lot that goes in there, right? Um, and I was referring to the song that everybody sang. But so basically, they're sending this, and it's kind of like, I'm thinking, you know, if you really cared about the LGBTQ community, you would actually create a bill and you would do something like the Utah compromise back in 2015 when you have mm -hmm. that the Fairness for All Act is is based off of. And if you don't know what the Utah compromise is back in 2015, you have uh, uh, people who are representatives of the LGBTQ community. Uh, you have feminists, you have Mormons, you have Christians uh, uh, who all get together. And they're like, we need to figure out how to create um, equal rights for all of us. And yet at the same time, guard religious freedom and respect theological convictions. And they were able to do it. They created a bill that everybody was happy with. LGBTQ activists were happy really? with it. Wow. I mean, I mean of course, you're always going to have some people who go, sure. but dude, they were happy with it. They were they were excited and, and you look at that, you're like, why can't that be a model? Because everybody pushed aside their pride. They're like, look, the most important thing is bringing down the suicidality. 
The most important thing is making sure that people know that they're valued. The most important thing is making sure that there is uh, that there is no discrimination within the civil square, within the public square, uh, when it comes to jury services, credit ratings, housing, uh, so on and so forth. That's important. Um, and, and the fact that they send a bill over and they're not willing to compromise, guess what? When it doesn't pass the Senate, which, again, is a good chance it won't, you know what? Democrats are going to be saying, and I'm not saying this to bash Democrats. I'm saying this to bash the Democrats who got up on stage and were clapping about this, sending it over there, knowing it's going to fail. They'll be like, well, you know, we tried. We love you. We love you. You know, we tried to pass it. You know, we put it in there. They're the villains. They don't want to pass it. It's like, dude, you you, you definitely have things in there. There's an overreach to the exercise and establish clauses of the First Amendment. And, and you're still sending it over there. It's kind of dastardly if you think about it. And the other thing is a gender identity um, and, and, the, and the trans movement. Again, I, I know uh, people have gender dysphoria. I have friends who are transgender women and men. And I love them. And I'm not talking about them here. But, dude, the suicidality of LGBTQ youth is staggering. And even the suicidality of individuals and even the attempted suicides of individuals um, after uh, they get the gender reassignment surgery. It's just, it's, it's like, wow, really? And yet you still have pharmaceutical companies putting out all these hormones. You still have, you know, plastic surgeons getting rich, hospitals getting rich, psychologists getting rich. Dude, you have nonprofit organizations that are dedicated to fighting discrimination who are getting rich off of that. And guess what? If you arrive at the station and you have uh, the same rights and so on and so forth, then how do some of those organizations make their money as far as the, hmm. you know, the, you know, the, the legal defense funds or the nonprofits saying we protect here and there. And again, I'm not saying that there isn't still discrimination that needs to be curbed. There is. I'm just saying that there is, that there's billions of dollars wrapped up in the whole trans movement. There's reelections that's wrapped up and there are probably uh, uh, congressmen and congresswomen who are okay with with the bill not passing because they're like, well, eventually it'll pass. I'll be able to say that I tried my best. We're going to try again. And when people ask, hey, I'll be able to tell them I tried my best. No, if you tried your best, you would end up passing a bill that would actually pass and take care of some of this and then work together to try to figure out some of the other stuff. But Caleb, one of the issues I was going to get to, but you, you raised it, so I think we should talk about it now, is that there are higher rates of depression homelessness, uh, suicidality among LGBTQ youth, but you don't believe these stats alone are representative of some of the differences with students being raised in compassionate, non-affirming Christian homes. And I ask you this because the narrative that I'm told from some progressive Christians and non-Christians is it's my theology itself that kills. It's a theology that causes the suffering. Sounds like you're saying that's too simplistic. And even when there's theological differences, when there's love and care, you don't see the same level of emotional hurt. Is that fair? Would you add anything to that? That's very fair. It doesn't mean that there's not emotional <clears throat> hurt and pain when um, maybe parents don't agree with a child's decision to be in a same-sex relationship. But you and I both know people where – you have parents who might be a bit more <clears throat> conservative or you have siblings who are more conservative um, and their sibling or their child 
is uh, gets married to somebody of the same biological sex. And even though there's theological disagreement, they still love each other. They still do vacations. They still give each other gifts. They still come over. They still do all these things. Why? Okay, because love doesn't require us to change our views about marriage or our views about sexual intimacy or affection or anything like that. Okay, I I can have my views, but my views about marriage and relationships and sexuality, my theological views do not impact the worth or dignity I think somebody has. If anything, a relationship with Jesus makes me love people more relentlessly. Hmm. Uh, My friend Dusty Frizzell says, who's a youth pastor at the church I attend, he says that Jesus ruined him. And Jesus ruined me too, is that I, I have to love, I love people. I love people all the more because of that. And my theological beliefs do not block that whatsoever. But this whole idea that, that, you know, if, if you disagree with somebody's um, uh, uh, decision to be in a same sex relationship or decision to transition, uh, disagreement doesn't mean that you still can't support. Okay. We have, we have basically made agreement and acceptance as synonyms and they're not acceptance is about loving people as they are for who they are in the very moment knowing that they can't do anything for you and you love them okay agreement you're not commanded to agree with everybody's opinion beliefs uh theological views who they voted for the fact that they like nickelback you're not supposed to agree with all that. You are called to accept everyone, in other words, to love everyone. And so this whole idea that, Sean, you are harming people because of your views, dude, that's lazy thinking. It's not critical mm-hmm. thinking, okay? We already know that you can get stats to say what almost what, what you really want them to say almost, right? And we, all, we also know that you can you know, definitely trust all the polls, right? I mean, after the elections, you know, you can trust the polls. But still <laughs> – I'm not even saying those polls are wrong. I'm saying that to say that somebody like you or somebody like me or somebody who is compassionately and empathetically loving their friends or family members, even though they disagree and they still have great relationships like the majority of people I know, Mm. dude, you're just, you're making, dude, it's a straw man argument. You're exaggerating. Okay. You're creating a foil Okay. In other words, you're creating a shadow. You say they're the villains. That makes me the hero. In so many ways, it's it's kind of arrogant when somebody calls you that and they don't even know you. They're like, well, just because of the stats that I read or just because of this person's book, I know that that the fact that you even hold that belief, you know, that that is somebody that's operating on, I think personally, an extreme amount of emotion. And uh, I think that our God created emotion. I think it's important. I think that our logic is important. And I think that, uh, that things work better when our logic and our emotions align there you and go. they work in tandem. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? I, I agree. I think you're right. And, hey, so, that, and so it's lazy thinking. So let me ask you this. Here's, <clears throat> here's an interesting question that I think helps comes from, K. Stevenson, and let me let me read it and give a little context. It says, "Sean, how can the church change its image when dealing with the LGBTQ community so they don't appear to be a quasi hate group?" And let me frame it more specifically: How can Christians raise their concern with the Equality Act because they think it's not good for society as a whole, not just Christians? 
without alienating relationships with people in the LGBTQ community. Right. Well, I think, I think first of all, um, I, I'm going to answer your question. But first of all, um, you know, I like how you said Christians are not church. And I'm not talking down to the probably wonderful individual, much better person than I am who asked that question. Um, I'm just saying that uh, when people say the church has a lot to apologize for, I like using the word Christians because the church is still the bride of Christ. I don't like people talking bad about my wife. I'm sure Jesus doesn't either. So let's be specific and say Christians, um, not universal church. So, but I understand what you meant or he meant or whoever that was. So here's what I would say. Um, If you really want to change the image of how some people see Christians or conservative theological Christians, evangelicals, Orthodox Christians, here's what you do. It starts with you and you love people no matter what you treat them well. Okay. You serve other people. You make a choice not to get into arguments. You make a choice to get into discussions and dialogue when somebody's open to it. But you make a choice not to um, engage people that you know will not listen to you, and you choose to love them no matter what. If we each said we are going to do that, everybody in our individual churches, dude, this country would change and be different. So that's answering that right there. What you said about the Equality Act, here's, here's what I think. I think uh, for some people, especially uh, for there are a lot of people that don't even know what it is. There are a lot of people that have that think that it has something to do with equality of I I don't know. There there are just a lot of people that that don't know what it is. And so that means that we have to be very, very careful in what we say. Um, And I would be careful about bringing it up with people unless you really know that individual. Like, if you really know that individual, I think that it's that, you know, hey, you know how to read them, you know how to think about it, you know how they might react, that kind of thing, and bring it up. What's even better is if they bring it up to you. You know, if you bring it up to um, coworkers that you don't know that well, if you bring it up to just random people on the street, first of all, you might be a little weird. Um, But second of all, (laughs) you know, if you do that, it's probably not going to go well because you have no common ground to work with when it comes to that person. And, and again, I'm not talking bad about street preaching, but this is not preaching. This is talking about, you know, a, a movement within our, uh, within our society, within our public square. And so I think it's better if, if they bring it up to you. And I think there are a few things you can do to kind of lessen. First of all, ask them what they think about it and Good. listen. Good. And when you ask them, you know, and when you're listening, um, you know, uh, you know, it, say, what, why do you think that? What, what has been your experience? You know, um, you know, if you know that they're heterosexual, you can ask, do you have family and friends who are uh, transgender individuals or um, uh, gay men or lesbians or bisexual individuals who have experienced hurt? Tell, tell me more about that. You can say, um, where, where do you, what do you think the most important things, you know, the most important things about the Equality Act are? I've found that some of the times when you don't know what to say, asking questions is actually a really good thing. Amen. I think that I found that when people are upset with me, they are usually about three or four questions away from really telling me what's going on. Because huh. usually people aren't upset about what they're upset about. So mm. in this case, I think asking questions it's very empathetic. It makes people drop their guard because this is already a very big lightning rod divisive issue, right? And so asking questions, 
listening to them, asking about their experience, and then let them say, well, what do you think about it? And say, you know what? I agree with what you said here, here, and here. And I'm sorry that you experienced that. Hmm. I'm sorry that your family member or your friend experienced that. I agree with, with there are things in the Equality Act I agree with, things that I, I don't agree with because of my theological you know, convictions, because my faith, you know, is how it limits, you know, religions and not just, you know, religions for Christians. This is not a Christian thing. Uh, it is an everybody thing. Um, even Jewish synagogues with the Equality Act might have a difficult time uh, during some of their events or sure. worship or so on and so forth, having women sitting on one side and men sitting on the other side. Even think about uh, the Catholic priesthood. Wow. wow. I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there. And that's not just Christians. That would go to Muslims. That would go to other groups. Like one of the most interesting thing about this is how many feminists have locked arms with Christians, kind of some unlikely bedfellows, for lack of a better term, in approaching this this topic. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so let's do some practical ways that this relates here, and then we're going to take some some questions specifically. Some people are making some good comments and questions here for you. What are some practical things churches can do? And I appreciate in this document, again, at the end, we'll tell people where they can get it. The great news is it's free and I hope everyone will get it and read it, give it to their pastor, spread it. This is such a helpful document. I know it took you a ton of time. But one of the things, the first things you said is you don't have to compromise scripture, meaning the historic Christian view of marriage and sex and gender. We don't have to compromise, in other words, not be faithful to what we believe Scripture teaches. Why do you start there as a point, and then let's talk about some practical things churches can do. I, I start there, and in the, doc, in the document, I specifically start with Matthew 19, 1 through 6, mm-hmm. um, you know, where Jesus you know, is asked you know, about marriage and divorce, and he quotes Genesis 1, uh, 27, I think, and Genesis 2, 24. Yeah. And um, he said, have you not heard in the beginning, uh, they were, uh, God created them male and female, and for this reason, a man and woman, a uh, man will leave his mom and dad, be united with his wife, and the two will become one. And so, so many people will say things like, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Well, okay, that's fair. Jesus didn't talk about a lot of things. He didn't talk about insider trading. Um, you know, he didn't talk about marijuana. Um, but let's go down the list, okay? He didn't talk about the catastrophe, the last Jedi is. There are tons of things <laughs> that Jesus did not talk about on a regular basis, okay? But guess what? Jesus did talk about marriage, and Jesus affirmed a marriage between a man and a woman, okay? And and when they when the Pharisees wanted to talk about modern-day interpretations of Scripture, Jesus said, no, let's go back to what God says in the very beginning, right. That's right. Because you're missing that. You're so caught up in what you think and what you feel, what you interpret in this moment, that you are forgetting what God has said. And we need to go back to the beginning and see what God has said. Now, there are some people, and, and you've had to deal with these arguments uh, uh, more than I have, but we both have, where people say, well, you know, in Jesus's day, he and Paul had no concept of sure. monogamous, loving, same-sex relationships. And more and more evidence is coming out. Uh, secular, you know, writings and so on and so forth, they reflect that, yeah, there probably were monogamous relationships. Now, they may not have been married in the sense that we think about marriage today, um, but they, they were still, 
monogamous relationships, it seems, from multiple sources. Uh, and so, and it's kind of arrogant too. It's kind of arrogant as deconstructionalism when you say, hey, well, you know, Paul didn't know that. We know that now. Okay, we know I that agree. now. Well, he didn't know that back then. And the arrogance just overflows. I mean, even even the arrogance, and I'm going off topic and we'll come back, but even the arrogance, dude, of people getting mad at the Vatican and the Pope for not blessing same-sex unions, it's like, what did you expect? And the Pew Research poll said, well, there are, you know, you know, 61% of the 1,200 people that we surveyed of Catholics said that they support same-sex marriage. Okay, so the American Catholic American Catholics should dictate what the rest of the world believes, the rest of the world's Catholics. There's something like 1.6 billion Catholics in the world, and there are 51 million here. And most of the Catholics outside the United States do not agree theologically with same-sex marriage. But we in the United States, our Western society, we know better. So we are going to try to get the Vatican to change their theology to help everybody else. Dude, arrogant. You're especially right when it comes to places like Africa and Latin America, when people in other circumstances have made criticisms of colonialism, now there's no problem doing it with a certain ideology. I think it's fair to point out that that criticism. So I love that in this document, again, we're going to tell people how to get it uh, on your site. You say, we don't have to change our theology in this, which I think... Sometimes it feels like there's so much pressures to shift that, that I just keep going, what did Jesus say? What does scripture say? So that's super encouraging. Tell me some practical things that organizations should be doing or thinking about right now, because even if this doesn't pass, it seems like there's a lot of momentum pushing it forward in this incarnation or another incarnation. So what's maybe two or three or four very practical things, churches, Christian schools, universities, et cetera, should start to do? Or even in, in, in state incarnations and state legislation and state legislation that may be passed, you know, soon. So especially if the Equality Act doesn't pass. So um, there are a couple of things, you know, um, number one, uh, religious nonprofit organizations, Christian schools, colleges, seminaries, churches and ministries need to understand and stay updated on ministerial exemption. Uh, Congress has a difficult time touching ministerial exemption because it is a con- is a constitutional issue. It stays with the courts and the court, um, even as uh, recently, um, I believe it is as uh, 2020 last year, where they basically ruled in favor of uh, churches and Christian schools in terms of uh, ministerial conviction. Uh, with the Supreme Court, you have a 6-3 conservative majority right now. And what's really interesting, if you look at some of the religious freedom cases, Sean, uh, Justice Kagan, uh, like more times than not, sides with religious freedom in those yeah. cases than, than you know, other things. So I just think that is, you know, I interesting. Agree. So so that's one thing. I think that uh, under, make sure you stay updated, understand, make sure that you have identified which staff are ministerially exempt and make sure you understand why they are ministerially exempt. And I go over that in the document, acknowledge that, acknowledge that some Christians uh, may have uh, different civil views and theological views on the same issue. Um, I think that's huge. Um, You know, we can no longer assume that a theological view equals a civil view. Um, So I, I think, I think that's huge. I, this is may seem small, but I think that I think that this could be potential a lot of lawsuits for Christian schools and churches. 
Um, on family ministry liability forms, I think that, you know, the forms that I do not, I will not sue you forms the parents sign. I think that churches and Christian schools need to add something like uh, for events, trips, and uh, retreats that include overnight accommodations, we assimilate children and students based on their biological sex. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to be very, very clear about that up front because we are dealing with minors. Um, and just, and I, more than once I've dealt with, I've had to deal with churches okay. and advise them where you have a transgender student who comes on the trip. Nobody knows. Um, and they came on the trip because they were invited by another student who goes to the church and sure. they're unchurched or they're not a believer. Yeah. And then the church will find out that they're transgender and, Again, you can't tell, so they're like, well, which cabin, you know, do we put the student in? Again, you're dealing with minors. Not only is that child a minor, but you're also dealing with minors who are in the cabin, so that's huge. Um, And I would consider limiting um, or even ceasing uh, the outside access or rental of your organizational facilities. Um, That's a tough one because I know a lot of people use it for evangelism, and I know, believe me, I love evangelism. I'm not and sharing my faith. I'm just saying you should have the discussion um, because it is going to become uh, more and more difficult. Um, and then I'll say this one last thing, okay? Okay. Uh, if there are any for-profit entities tied to your Christian college, your seminary, your church, or your uh, nonprofit ministry organization, you need to make sure that you guard your organization's for-profit entities, because if you do get sued, um, your nonprofit organization might be fine, but the court can actually take money from your for-profit organization. That happened in California Baptist University, where they were sued by a transgender student, um, you know, who I think was um, uh, dismissed uh, from the the school for uh, being transgender. I think um, I have to look at that case again, but basically this transgender student ended up suing the university and the judge uh, said, well, you know, I can't touch the nonprofit university, the religious nonprofit, but they do have a bookstore or some other entity that was for profit. And so the student was awarded $4,000 from that for profit entity. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if loopholes is the right word, but a lot of angles that Christian universities, Christian schools, churches maybe haven't thought through that they need to protect themselves. Now, I want you to tell us about your website, where this document is so people can get it. But I have one last question for you, and this comes from uh, A.V. Costello. And let me let me frame this question a certain way because I think this is really helpful. It says, does Caleb have any opinion on why LGBTQ issues always seem to get coupled to race issues? And I think why this is so important is the worst sin to be called today is to be called a racist. That's basically the worst sin anybody can be called for the most part in contemporary America right now. When you go back in the rulings is we actually see the same issues going back to the Bob Jones case and this is maybe I'm stealing your thunder a little bit, so I'll let you jump in. But the distinction was that people cannot, when it comes to marriage, deny interracial marriage and get any federal funds. And maybe that was a tied to accreditation. The Supreme Court overruled that. So now we're seeing the same thing because the arguments are made that gender identity or sexual orientation are akin to race. So your thoughts, your analysis on, on that, or do you disagree with something I just said? 
No, no, I, I'd say a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, I, I do think that they get coupled together because um, of discrimination, um, you know, and uh, the feeling of discrimination and the, and the way that some LGBTQ people have been treated, uh, not just by Christians, but by atheists, by humans. Humans are jerks in general, right? We have this thing called sin. And so I, I really think that um, that that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why they get coupled together. Um, you know, there uh, you know there's some more that uh, that people uh, say within uh, critical race theory and even the critical theory that we don't have time to get into today. But two things about that. So number one, I I don't think that they are the same at all. And I think that even the Bob Jones case is very very different. And I'll tell you why. Okay, because number one, the good thing is we have a um, you know, a, a, uh, uh, a court system that does not want to interpret theology. That's a good thing. Okay. Um, recently, I don't know if you read the, uh, ruling in the Fuller Seminary case where Fuller Seminary won their case. Mm -hmm. Um, the judge in so many words in, uh, the ruling said, uh, that, um, that courts should not go trolling around, in seminary and Christian colleges, doctrinal statements and community values. And I'm like, Oh, that was a California judge. It's like, yeah. How about that right there? You know? And I think he's absolutely right. And so I don't, I think it's very, very hard to make a theological case against interracial marriage. It's extremely hard, especially when you look at Jesus's background. Right. Um, And I know my screen's doing all kind of weird things, but especially when you look at Jesus's background, like you look at his genealogy, man, he has Gentile blood in there. He's got Rahab in there. He's got Manasseh in there. Okay. Right. But you can make a theological argument for opposite sex marriage. Very much so. The male female thread throughout the old and new Testament. It's very, very different. And I don't think that a lot of courts want to get into that, even though it is tied uh, to uh, the Constitution and the federal government. So I think that's part of the reason why that makes it so sticky. William Webb wrote a great book on this, right, Sean? Yep. Um, and then I'll say there's one last thing with it. I, I think that one of the reasons why there's a big difference between um, L- the LGBTQ individuals and the uh, oppression and murder and racism that um, uh, uh, black people, African-Americans have faced um I think one of the big differences is, is that there is a, there's a shared experience that goes back hundreds of years, uh, back to the evil dastardly start of the transatlantic slave trade. And even before then, um, where, uh, black people have been treated horribly and murdered and killed and treated like cattle, you know, and then this country starts and same thing happens over here. And there, the struggle you know, for abolition, the struggle for equal rights, the continued struggle against racism in our country today, that is a shared experience. It goes back hundreds of years. And I don't think there's that centralized shared experience for American LGBTQ individuals. I'm not saying that there isn't a shared experience. There is. Sexual minority is one of them, but not to the same depth and degree. I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's true. Um, I, I, well, obviously I think it's probably true because I said it, at least I do now, but, (laughs) and, and I understand there, there are uh, African-American individuals who are, um, who are gay and lesbian and transgender. Uh, there are uh, Latinos, Latinas, uh, uh, Asian American and Pacific Islanders, so on and so forth. So I get that. But 
there's definitely a shared experience. Um, that, that makes sense. So, Caleb, let me ask yeah. you this because we're, we're wrapping up in time. This document you wrote, 90-some pages. Again, I read it twice. Super helpful practically, theologically, and legally with what's going on with the Equality Act. I want everybody who's watching this live or later to get a copy of it, forward it to your pastor. I sent it to the Christian school where I teach at part-time, not Biola, but a private Christian school. I sent it to the head of schools just so he could use that. This document needs to get in a lot of people's hands. Where can they find it? Okay, so you can find it in two places. It's not up right now. It will be later on today because I've got to, I'm still correcting some of the grammar and run on sentences and typos. Okay. So I have to because my parents are English professors. So if you go to uh, my website, uh, maybe uh, Sean can um, maybe put this in a description later on or something like that. Okay. Uh, CalebCaltonbach.com and MessyGraceGroup.org. Um, okay. com just tells a little bit more about me. MessyGraceGroup.org talks about some of the work that I do with churches. Uh, later on tonight or tomorrow morning, it will be available uh, where you can download okay. it on both of those websites. Uh, com, MessyGraceGroup.org. So check tonight, check tomorrow morning. Perfect. Maybe someone could write those in the comments right now, too, to help out as well for others. That's great. Uh, how else can people follow your ministry? Twitter, uh, speaking. Tell us a little bit about what we're doing so we can people can follow you. Yeah, so you can uh, go to my website and uh, websites and see what's going on. Uh, for most social media, my uh, you know handle is Caleb Wild, C A L E B W I L D S, because that is my middle name. Actually, Wilds. A lot of people don't know why that's it. Oh, but that's my middle that. name. Mm-hmm. Caleb Wilds. I'm not just being weird. Um, that is my middle name. But um, so, so I mean, that, those are good ways to follow me. Um, and what I really try to do is I try to come alongside ministries and churches, but it's, uh, ministries and Christian schools and seminaries. I'm working with a couple of uh, Christian universities that we've you even read some of the stuff that I've done with one of the universities, Sean. Yep. But I especially come alongside churches and I help them to uh, develop internal systems and processes that will honor their theological convictions and values, but also Good. Uh, create room for LGBTQ people to attend um, and to hear the gospel. Because here's the thing, people find apologies is better in community, not in isolation, which is what my next book, Messy Truth, is all about, releases yeah. in August. So I want to encourage everybody uh, watching, listening to this, to go to your website and get the document. It'll be on later today, calebcaltonback.com. Read it, pass it on to other people, especially heads of Christian organizations so they can have this information. Uh, and by the way, if you work with an organization or no one and you feel like we don't know how to navigate these waters, this is exactly what Caleb does. He was a pastor full-time, he's an author, but goes and works with Christian organizations, how to stay faithful to their Christian convictions, but be loving to the LGBTQ community and just navigate some of the tricky legal issues taking place today too. So your ability and willingness to come and consult and work with organizations is awesome. We appreciate that. Of course, this channel is brought to you by Biola Apologetics, Talbot School of Theology. If you've ever thought about getting a master's in apologetics, we would love to help train you. And you may not know this. Oh, there's your Biola hack because you went there. You did your MA. That's when we uh, met. Well, I did my MA. I'm a Talbot grad. Your yeah. MA, that's right. Your MA. 
but we are now officially in our apologetics program fully online and distance. So we have students from all around the world, just about every continent except Antarctica, as far as I know, we're close to it. So we would love to have you uh, join us if you thought about doing it. Description is below. Caleb, hang on. I want to say goodbye, but everybody, thank you for tuning in for great questions and great discussion uh, as well. So God bless everybody. Thank you.